pastors here at Safe Haven, we've been going through the book of Habakkuk. Um, if you haven't journeyed with us or know what we're all about, we, we go straight through books of the Bible, and Habakkuk is where we find ourselves. <clears throat> Maybe kind of to get our minds set for where this text is going to take us today in the book of Habakkuk. <clears throat> Growing up, I was a tiny little bitty person. I was little bitty. Um, tenth grade, I was five foot two, 102 pounds. Little, I was tiny growing up. And so every time the PE teacher announced a game, it would strike fear in my heart because all the games were for those big burly men. Um, you know, and, and so they were like, hey, today we're going to, everybody's going to arm wrestle each other. <laughs> I'm like, no, not arm wrestling. Um, or today we're going to play tug of war. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to tug of war. Everybody, I mean, Andrew, when they announced those games, Andrew got excited because, I mean, he came out of the womb smelling testosterone, you know. Um, and, and I grew up more smelt like estrogen. I mean, I, I, I just wasn't big. Those games scared me to death. Uh, but one game was the great equalizer of all people, and that was just the game... I bet I can make you flinch. <laughs> Did y'all do the game, Are You Afraid of This Little Man? You know, where you try to spook somebody and see if they would flinch. Did y'all do this? If, if you didn't do it, well, let's do it now. Turn to somebody and try to make them flinch. Go, go for it. Make it. Did they flinch? It doesn't. <laughs> we just turned it into revenge for all the little people right here. It was just, it's one of those games that really is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, will you flinch? Um, is, is kind of the whole point of the game. So how does that tie into Habakkuk? Habakkuk has been a game of flinch. If you've noticed as we've gone through it, he'll say something, God will say something, um, he'll bow up at God, and then God will bow up at him, and they're kind of flinching back and forth. I mean, have y'all caught that? Have y'all caught that dialogue already? That's what it's looked like. Um, it's, it's looked like God says something, Habakkuk runs into the mud, and then he backs up back on solid ground, then he back in the mud again, then he backs up on solid ground. It's just a pendulum swing. Have you ever experienced that with God? It's kind of this game. God, I don't understand. God says something. God, I don't understand. And it's that back and forth. Well, that's where we've found ourselves. It's really a game of this, what God wants to do versus what Habakkuk wants God to do. Now that we've all identified with. God, I want you to do this. And then God says, but I'm going to do this. And that's the tension that we've felt throughout this book. Um, and so that conundrum is a cyclical, cyclical in our brains. And, and so we're going to read this passage. And today is going to kind of be a culmination of that. And it's going to continue throughout the book. God's ultimately going to put Habakkuk with a right God-smack uppercut. Um, but right now, there's still this wrestling going on. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll, by God's grace, um, reflect on it. Okay, you ready? Let's do this. Here's the passage in Habakkuk. We've made it to verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We, Israel, shall not die, O Lord You've ordained them, Chaldeans, as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Now watch this. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? 
You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And he, the Chaldeans, man, brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net, gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his own net and makes offerings to his dragnets. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? It's this pendulum back and forth and back and forth. And then ultimately we make it to chapter 2 verse 1 where we'll end today. So after all these things, after our game of flinch God, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what you will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's a fascinating, fascinating little text. Um, So there's this again. He resets resets himself on solid ground. He finds himself back in the mud when he flinches. And and maybe if God is gracious to us, we'll learn something from those moments today. So let's look at it again as we now reflect on those verses. One, we saw him reset. And how did he reset? He reset by going, this I know. And he reflects on what he knows. Remember, he's made it in the mud. And for him to gain stability, the first thing he does is say, I'm going to back out of the mud. I'm going to back out of the chaos by just remembering what I know to be true. What do I know to be true? And that's what he he does first. So he says several things. Let's kind of look at them again together. He says, these things I know, these things will bring me stability even when nothing else makes sense, God. I know this. I know that you are, it'll be on the screen, you're eternal. I know that. You're everlasting. Did y'all catch that, what he said? I know that to be true. You are eternal. In other words, God, nothing takes you by surprise. I know that. You're not twiddling your thumbs, shocked that the Chaldeans are now whooping up on the nation of Israel. You know what else he's not twiddling his thumbs over? The fact that you're struggling in your marriage. The fact that you got the bad health report. The fact that your job changed. The fact that anything that brings you chaos, the fact that your, your mind is whipping you to death, he's not shocked. And he reflects on that. He says, I know that you're eternal. I know that. So therefore, I know that you've seen it all and you know it all. That brings me stability. And he goes on to say this, not only are you eternal, but you're God. And you're my God. That, in contrast with last week, in verse 11, he said, those people have a God, and their God is their own, do you all remember? Their own might. You remember that from last week? They worship their own strength, and that's not my God. You are my God. So he, he finds stability in that. He says, my God is infinitely more powerful than anything they can come up with. And there's strength in that. He goes on to say, not only that, but, but you're holy. I find stability in the fact that, God, you're holy, meaning you never do wrong. What you do defines right. Have you ever thought about that in contrast with us? How do we know what is right and wrong? We have scripture, we have laws, all these things, right? And so if I walk out of here and I'm going to choose to either just run somebody off the road or not run somebody off the road... I reflect on, okay, what is the law? The law is, Troy, you can't run somebody off the road. Some of y'all need to hear that. You can't run people off the road just because you want to, okay? 
Right? But we have a law, and that law tells us if you do this, you're right. If you don't do it, you're wrong. God's not like that. What he does defines right, even if we don't agree. And, and so he, said, he reflects on that. You're holy. You're, you're right. I know this to be true. And then he finds stability also in this fact. He says, you're covenant-keeping. That was that little phrase, we surely shall not die. Now, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the nation of Israel. God, you made a covenant to always keep your people. So therefore, I know that and I find stability in that. Even though chaos abounds, you will keep the covenant that you've made because you're a covenant-keeping God. So he's not subject to history. He, in himself, dictates history. History is subject to him. So he finds strength in that. Then he goes on to say this, you're just and right. I find comfort in the fact that you are just and right. You're faithful even in judgment. Notice what he says. He says, I know that you're judging I know that this is a moment of judgment that you're bringing about, and and that's okay because you're just and you're right. And then the last thing I would point out about this, things that he says, this I know, you're serious. You are serious about obedience, and you are serious about discipline. And he finds comfort in that. Now, complete side note, it's... I look, and I I don't want to do hobby horses, but discipline... And being serious about discipline is, is something that's incredibly lacking in our society. And I don't know if it's just because we recall and we're gracious people or we're grace junkies or whatever it is. But my goodness, just go to Frida's. See, I didn't use Arby's. <laughs> just, go, just go to Frida's this afternoon. And in Frida's, it's bound to happen. Somebody will come in there, and their kid will be in there, and they'll have an iPad. And they'll go, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to take your iPad away. And then they scream, and they take the iPad away. You're not getting it back for a week. And then they look at them and go, but I promise I'll be nice. And they'll go, okay, well, maybe you can have it right now. (laughs) And it's just that if you'll shut up, you can have the iPad. Well, Well, God's not like us. He's serious. He's incredibly serious about obedience. And Habakkuk finds comfort in that. He says, this I know. This I know that what you're doing is right. And it's ultimately a form of obedience. And that is for my good. It's not for my bad. What you're doing is for my good. He's not winking and not. It's not a, it's not a joke. So he finds comfort in these things. Let's keep going. So he begins, again, how long are you going to do these things, God, and let evil win? God responds, it's about to get even worse. I'm going to let the Chaldeans wipe everybody out. Habakkuk goes, okay, that doesn't make sense. So let me think about what I know to be true. I know you're all of these things. But then he flinches. (laughs) And he goes back right in the mud. So after he reflects, he starts into the comparison game. And the comparison game will wear us out if we're not careful. Watch what he does. And this is where he gets in the mud again. God, you could have stopped it. (laughs) I know these things to be true, so why didn't you stop it from happening? God, I know all these things to be true, but you could have used somebody more righteous than the Babylonians to accomplish your purposes. God, of all people, the Chaldeans? Are you kidding me? They're like the most unholiest of all unholy. Why would you use them to accomplish your purposes. And if we're not careful, 
the comparison game will wear us out too. And we'll find ourselves in more chaos when we begin to compare. God, I want this to be true in my life because it's true in John's life. I want this to be true in my life because my neighbor, Sally, it's true in her life. Why can't this be true in my life? Because that business, it's true in their business, right? And we start comparing. And comparison will wear us out. And that's how he finds himself right back in the mud. God, why on earth would you use the communists to accomplish your purpose? God, why would you on earth use Hitler to accomplish your purposes? That doesn't make any sense. God, North Korea? I mean, that guy's just crazy, let's be honest. God, how could you use him? Or political sphere today, let's really kind of bring it home today. God, are you telling me that you would use Donald Trump to accomplish your purposes? That don't make any sense. Now everybody's mad at me. So let's flip it the other way. Are you telling me that you would use Joe Biden to accomplish your purpose? God, that don't make any sense. Now you can't be mad at me because we use both, right? And that's it. We start comparing and we start leveraging. God, are you telling me that you could use Al-Qaeda to accomplish your purposes? That doesn't make sense. And that gets him in trouble. He's right back in the mud again. The comparison game will kill you. It'll wear you out. Be careful of that. We can't fathom a holy God using unholy people to accomplish his purposes, can we? We don't have a paradigm for that. But that's exactly what happened. He has used unholy people to accomplish his purposes, and he will use unholy people to accomplish his purposes. And why is this such an unstable question? And why does this get us in the mud so much? Because when we start comparing with other people, their unholiness versus our what? Holiness. We get in real trouble, don't we? That's the issue at hand. If God can only use holy people, then he can't use anybody. Because we're all the Chaldeans. And that's what gets Habakkuk in a rut. But they are less holy than me. Now that's a dangerous game. Don't go there. It's a dangerous game. And that lands Habakkuk right back in the mud. So he recognizes, I think, that he's got himself in the mud. And he goes, oh, maybe I don't need to do that. So he kind of reboots and he gets, tries to get back on solid ground. He backs the truck up, tries to get back on solid ground, and he resets. And he resets by saying this. Okay, okay, God, all these things. Forget that. You created all things. That I know to be true. Let's go back to solid ground. To what I know to be true. You created all things, just like the fish of the sea. You created all kind of fish for all kinds of purposes. You created a bass for a purpose, namely to be battered and fried and eaten with hush puppies. That's what he created them for. God, you created the shark for some purpose, namely to scare all of us when we try to go out, <laughs> when we go to try to go out to the sandbar. Every time we go to the, like when I was 13 and thought I would live forever, like I went out to the sandbar. And now that I'm knocking on the door of 46, I look at the sandbar and I'm like, You're, I'm not going to that crazy. Jaws is out there. I'm not going out there. But they're sand dollars. They have big teeth in sharks. I'm not going out there, right? He created them all for a purpose. 
And he finds stability in that. He goes back to you are creator, therefore you can do whatever you want to do with your creation. And I find strength in that, God. He's got all kind of streams for all kind of different purposes. And if we're not careful where this will ultimately get us in trouble when we forget this, is we'll start damming up our own streams to create our own little pretty ponds, won't we? Because we find comfort in that. God, you're doing a million things with a million different fish that I don't understand, so I'll dam that stream up and plant my ficus bushes where I like them to be planted. Mm-hmm. And I'll let the people in that I like to swim in my pond with me. Only mastercrafts in my pond, Lord. That's a good pond right there. That's a good pond. Only people who vote like me, only people who look like me, only people who believe what I believe can come in my pond, God, because my pond is the right pond. And then we'll start worshiping our pond. Don't you dare come in and try to break the dam on my pond. And then God comes and he breaks the dam and quite literally all you know what breaks loose and we go, what are you doing? And God likes to break up the ponds that we build, doesn't he? And that's what he's doing in Habakkuk's day. He's breaking up his pond of stability. Why? So that Habakkuk will lean on him and not his own understanding. And so he all of a sudden flinches. And he reflects on, God, you created all things and I find comfort in that. But hold on a second. Flinches. So if that's true, then why are they doing everything? Why are they... Why are you allowing all this evil to take place? You control the creation, don't you? And you see the reaction as he reflects. He says, you just let your creation run wild, God. Now that doesn't make sense. He backed out. God, you're the creator. He falls right back in the mud. So why is everything going crazy? As he's back in the mud, he says this about the creation. The creation itself, it worships evil. That doesn't make sense, God. God, it worships its own net. It worships its academic ability. It worships its ability to work hard. It worships its ability to earn, even though Deuteronomy says that even our ability to earn comes from him. It is possible to believe that God is in control and wrestle with the means by which he flexes his control. And that's where we have issue. God, you're sovereign, you're holy, you are in control. But I really wish you would do it the way I want you to do it. And that's where he finds himself wrestling. Side note, in this passage we see that the, the Holocaust didn't start with Hitler. Like if I said Holocaust to you, what is the Holocaust? Like if it was history class, and I said, what was the Holocaust? 99.9% of us, myself included, would put down, well, that is when Hitler... And the Jews, right? The Holocaust didn't start with Hitler. It goes all the way back here. It goes before here to the Canaanites. God, how could you? You just let creation run wild. Is it possible that only eternity will explain Holocausts? Yeah. I think that's a lesson we can learn from Habakkuk. 
in the truest sense, but also what Habakkuk is screaming at us and reminding us is it may not be holocaust for you, but there's some form of chaos that's got you all wrapped up going, I do not understand this. It's entirely possible that only eternity will reveal the purpose in that for you as well. Will we trust him? And so Habakkuk is right back in the mud. And after this, as we wrap it up today, mud, out of mud. (laughs) This I know, solid ground. So why this, unsolid ground? This I know, solid ground. After all of this, he resets, and I think he's reflecting again, and he goes, oh boy, you're going to rebuke me for that, aren't you? (laughs) Did you catch that in verse 2? I mean, verse 1 of chapter 2. After all this in and out of the mud, he goes, oh my gosh. Well, after all these questions, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get up on my watch post. I'm going to sit on this tower, not to see what you're going to do, but what? I'm going to look out to see what you will, what you're going to say to me. You're about to say something back, and I know it's going to be a rebuke. Look at what he says. And what I will answer concerning my what? My What word? Say it. Complaint. Sometimes the summation of our prayers can just be boiled down to, we're complainers. Will we rest on what we know or will we be stuck in the mud of what we like to complain about? And our complaints will ultimately reveal what we truly believe about God's sovereignty. This, so rich a book. Four truths that we can see out of Habakkuk's flinching. Um, I do hope that today y'all play good games of flinch in your house. See who can hit each other. Uh, Four truths I think we can learn about Habakkuk's flinching and then resetting. Number one is this. I think this teaches us that stability is found in stepping away from our problems and focusing on what is true of God. In the midst of our chaos... Will you step back and focus on what you know to be true or focus on what you don't know to be true? You can ask questions all day long, but the why question will kill you. That may be the best thing that came out of my mouth today, didn't plan on saying it, but the why question will kill you. The better question is, who are you, God? That you'll find stability in. And I think that's what we see in Habakkuk. In other words, divine diversion, if that's even a thing, is powerful. When we look at who God is, it brings light to um, who we are. I guess what I'm trying to say is big thoughts about God make little bitty thoughts about the world. And we can be assured that God's always for our good and for his glory. And I think that's what Habakkuk is proclaiming. When you're in the midst of chaos, back up and focus on what you know to be true about the attributes of God. Number two, God always answer, but stability comes when we're okay with his answer coming in the form of delay. We got to be okay if we want to find stability in this world with delay. We got to be okay with it. And we're not good with delay, are we? We want fast everything. COVID has disrupted fast food. We sat the other night after Cole's game at Whataburger Line for over an hour. I wanted a burger that bad. <laughs> Plus, nothing else was open. I was going to run the risk of everything shutting down. and all this. I mean, it's late at night. And, and I'm just fuming. 
I'm fuming to the point of absurdity. Just I'm, this, Maybe this is just purging and honesty time, okay? Julie Beth is like, hey, let's leave. We can go somewhere else. And I'm like, I am not leaving this spot. I will sit here until we die for the love of all that is holy. Until I get this burger. <laughs> Fast food, man. If it's not three seconds. And, and if we really think about it, do we want food that... It took three seconds to prepare. <laughs> like, is that really good for us? No. We want fast, fast internet. Mm-hmm. Internet slows down at your house. Google doesn't pop up in 10 seconds, and you're on the phone with Charter. Charter, I got a problem. My internet is messed up. What on earth? Right? 10 seconds. God, if I can't talk to somebody in China in 10 seconds, I'm going to bomb Charter. <laughs> we get all crazy. Fast pass. <laughs> the Fast Pass at Six Flags. We spoiled our kids with the Fast Pass at Six Flags. Cole Beckett will spend 250 bucks to get a Fast Pass when the ticket to get in the park only costs 30 bucks, right? And when we grew up, there was no Fast Passes. When you went to Six Flags, if you rode four rides all day long, it was a good day. I rode four rides, right? Got to fast, got to skip everything. Gotta da, 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 da. Hey, God's not on your timetable. Are you okay with that? Stability only comes when we recognize God's not on our timetable. And he doesn't have to be. Why? Because he's God. Right? He's not on our timetable. Number three. A posture of repentance, even when we've been wronged, is true and eternal stability. The most stable thing that Habakkuk could do is back up, and go, whoa, I need to repent. Now remember, Habakkuk himself hadn't done anything wrong. Debatable, right? The Chaldeans are doing everything. The nation of Israel's gone nuts. And Habakkuk goes, I need to back up and I need to repent. Repentance is a glorious posture of stability for us. And I think we see that. I love that Habakkuk knows he's about to be rebuked. And the reason that this is stable to us is because in repentance, we commit our way to God. We go, God, not my will, but your will be done. Is there anything in me that needs to be reconciled first? And he goes and he backs up. And it has a very real effect. Number four, through prayer, the human mind is linked with the divine mind. And that has very real effects. So you could look at Habakkuk through a lens of the whole book is a treatise on how awesome prayer is. There's a linking of the human mind with the divine mind, and that's what happens when you and I pray. You're linking up, if you will, with the divine mind. And I'm not trying to go super mystical and turn this into... You get what I'm saying, okay? So with that said, last week we looked at prayer as a means that God morphs our will to his will. And that is true. Ian Bounds said it best. Prayer is not about us moving the sovereign hand of God. Prayer is about God sovereignly moving our hearts to what he's doing with his hands. That is true. No doubt about that. Okay, so let's be reminded of that. But this week also, God does do very real things in prayer. And it has very real effects. And you go, well, how do those two work together? Number one, if we could truly answer that question then we could write a book and finally build that building we've talked about, okay? We, that would work. But how does it work? 
the best way I think we can see it is this. Habakkuk teaching us to pray. When you have issue, pray. It's almost like a missile. This is the only way I could think of to explain it. Um, China, this past week, shot off a, a hypersonic missile as a test case scenario. Now, that just freaks some of you out that haven't seen that. Um, and that's not my point. My point is not what are they doing with missiles. All the, but that missile took years of planning. Tons of different people. There were scientists. There were chemists. There were um, algebra, algebraians. <laughs> uh, mathematician. We'll go with mathematician. I don't know what the word is. Um, there were uh, people who worked with metal. There were people who worked with computers. There were people who worked with all these different things to make this missile work. But you know what? When they shot the missile, one person got to push the button. Took all of that, and then one person gets to hit that button. And I think that that may be what prayer's like. God's doing a million different things in the background, but for whatever reason, sometimes he goes, if you will pray, I'll let you push the button. And it's not really that he lets us push the button, but that's the only way I can explain it. Things happen when we pray that are real and have real effect, and he is simultaneously sovereign. That's both true. That's why God, through Christ, says this, pray this way. (laughs) Pray, ask me. I love, I'm getting off track, but I love the story in Scripture of the woman who's begging the Lord, and the Lord's not Jesus is not answering her, and then she says this. But Lord, Lord, even the dogs get to eat from under the crumbs of the that fall off the table, and then Jesus goes, "Oh, now that is faith," and then He answers her. I, prayer changes things. It does. It works. It's a real button, and this reminds us to never bury our head in the sand. So all that to say, when chaos comes, do you just vomit it on Facebook? Or do you intentionally pray? When the political climate does not make sense to you, do you just vomit to those that you know that will back you up and go, yeah, I agree with you? Or do you pray? Do you commit? Do we commit to prayer? Do we labor in prayer as much as we vomit on social media? If social media will prove one thing at the end of time, it'll prove that we had plenty of time to pray. God, I don't have time to pray and to talk to you about this, but I got 45 minutes to type up a whole letter for the whole world to hear for me to put on Facebook. Whack. Right? Do we pray? Right? So, I think it teaches these things. When we are uncertain, we really have two options. And I'll shut up. We got two options, is what Habakkuk is showing us. Option number one, we can go, God, I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. We can cry that way. And that's real. Habakkuk did that. I don't get it. I'll rant and I'll rave, and somebody, by gosh, will listen to me. That's option number one. And then there's option number two. We can back up and go, mm, I don't understand, but this I know to be true. I know God that you have attributes. And if I reflect on your attributes, I will breathe in stability even in the midst of chaos. And I can reflect on the work of Christ. I know that to be true. Parable of the two houses is what I'll end with. You all know it. 
There was a man set out to build a house, and he built it on the sand. There was even a song we sang in VBS. Rains came down and the floods came up. There's like four people who sang that, (laughs) right? He built his house on the sand. And when the chaos abounded and the chaos came, he just wiped him out. And it wiped his house out. He was unstable. He didn't reflect on who God was. He didn't reflect on who Christ is. This is Christ's point. He just went with everything that he could conjure up and it wiped him out. And there was another person who said, I'm going to build my house and I'm going to start with this I know to be true. If I build it on what is true, then it'll be solid. And he reflected on God's attributes. And ultimately Christ is pointing to himself. So he builds it upon the rock and the winds came. And what does the song say? The house on the rock. Day stood firm. It stood firm. The winds came. It didn't. They were still real winds. But he stood firm. And both the house survived and he survived. In the midst of your chaos... Will you let it beat you to death or will you pause and go, what do I know to be true? This I know. Insert the blank. The band's coming back up and I'm going to pray for us. Well, so, Jesus... As a gathering of believers, I pray that our minds are now lifted to the cross. That we know your, all of your omnis to be true. God, you are omnipresent and omniscient and all of those things. That's all true. You're eternal. You're infinite. You're immutable. God, you're all those big things, but that just seems so distant sometimes. And I'm thankful that Habakkuk pushes us not to a God who's distant, but pushes us to reflect on the truth of a God who's also personal. And we're thankful for your personal work in Jesus. That took all the omnis and brought them down to a level that we could understand. All the omnis suffering, all the omnis struggling all the omnis in the garden going, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. (laughs) Thank you that even Jesus pulled back to what he knows to be true, even in his greatest moment of struggle. What a lesson. That we would find our hope and stability in you, Jesus. May you be our beginning, our end, and the middle of all of our contemplation of chaos in our lives.